All right, gathering, welcome back. How we doing? Yeah. Woo! Man, it, 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 we, we were talking earlier, it's been, this has been the longest break we've ever had. It's been eight weeks, and it is, uh, we, we're excited to be back. We're excited to have you guys back, and we're excited uh, to get into our new series, getting God's Word together, uh, and growing our faith. And so we're, we're kicking off this new year with a, a series called A Deeply Formed Life. And uh, the reason we, we picked this particular series was because we have three words that, descri- that, that describe why we're here. We want to help young adults belong, be known, and become like Christ. And so this is a series that really keys in on the becoming like Christ thing because Jesus came in John 10, 10, and he said, I have come to give life, and I have come to give life to the full. And I don't know about you, but there are days and weeks and seasons of life where life doesn't feel full, maybe feels half full or maybe even half empty. And so we thought, you know what, what does Jesus mean by this? What did his life look like where he says, I have come to give life? And life to the full. And so we're going to spend some time looking uh, at the life of Christ and the rhythms that we see Jesus live with. And so to get that going, you may have noticed on social our, our little uh, our, our graphic. And there's a, an iceberg behind the title, right? And we picked an iceberg for a reason. Because icebergs are majority, you probably know this, are underwater, right? We all know about Titanic. It's not a good situation. And so actually, I had to look this up. So most of an iceberg, in fact... There is seven times more mass under the surface of the water than there is above the surface. Seven times more. And I thought, you know what? What a great picture of what the culture we live in celebrates. They celebrate the little part on top. We curate it. We prepare it. We protect it. We project it. We do all the things to make sure that everybody sees that top part of the iceberg when actually what makes that iceberg actually float and stay there is what's underneath. And so we wanted to talk about this idea of a deeply formed life. Like, what is God doing in those moments where we can't, where no one else can see? That he's forming in you through his spirit that would make you a rock-solid follower of Jesus. That as you live life, it doesn't matter what comes and what goes, that actually what's underneath makes what's visible known. Does that make sense? And so that's why we want to talk about this deeply formed life. And so... Uh, I came across this image. Actually, it's a video, and um, it, it really caught my eye. And it's one of those videos that, like, I'm not a big art guy, but this is, I guess, performance art. Um, the Guggenheim Museum commissioned these two Chinese artists to come up with this art. And it's not a painting. It's not a, a sculpture. It is a robot. All right? And this robot's name is Can't Help Myself. That is the name of the robot. It's, it's named Can't Help Myself. And we've got a quick video that, up on the screen. I want to, let's take a look at this, and you can see it in action. This is the, the robot Can't Help Myself. And this robot is designed to do one thing, and that is to keep that thick red liquid. Yes, it kind of looks like blood. It's a little weird. To keep that red liquid behind a certain boundary because that red liquid is what keeps that robot going. It's the lubrication that keeps the robot functioning. And so every time that it scoops that liquid back, it is working to save its own life. And it's constant, it never stops. And it goes over and over in the same action, over and over, because it's only designed and programmed to do one thing. And what I found myself when I first watched this, starting to feel bad for the robot. Like, there's this really weird, like, man, this is really sad. 
Like it's just constantly working and constantly working. Like just this constant mechanical movement all along doing one thing, just scooping the liquid so that it can continue on for one more day. In fact, one of the, this, this video went viral on TikTok, and one of the comments said this, continuously cleaning up the pieces of yourself as you endlessly fall apart alone while everyone watches you and uses you for entertainment is hard to watch. It's like, wow. That's why they call it art, right? Like it, it draws something out of you that you're like, wow, I didn't, didn't see that coming. But I think a lot of times the culture that we live in, the world that we live in, is a lot like that robot. Right, the word is told, just do this and then do this and then once that's done, then go do this and then do this. We see it over and over. We see there, there's something to do, we go do it, and then it's immediately on to the next thing. Do this and do this. And our life, our actual life is wrapped up in our work and what we do and what we can produce and what we can achieve. But here's the difference. You're not a robot. I'm not a robot. You are a human being who is created in the image of God. And your value and your worth is not in what you can produce. Your value and your worth is not what you can achieve. Because let's be honest, we live in an American culture that we have a disease. And that disease is called busyness. We're just always moving, always going. Can't stop, keep going, don't want to miss out. Got to do this. Got to get the raise. Got to get the new job. Got to meet that person. Got to network with that person. Got to go see my friends. Got to see my family. And over and over and over. And without knowing it, what we end up doing with this disease of busyness is it slowly destroys the soul. Because you're not a robot. You were designed for more. And you were designed to do more than just one thing. I had a friend that worked at a Fortune 500 company. He doesn't work there anymore, but he was the creative director of marketing for this particular company. And he had this cubicle, and he, we were in small group one, one morning, and he said, he goes, what's really frustrating to me is as a creative person, I need like a, a long time just by myself with my thoughts to be creative. I need, I need a long runway. He said, but the culture within our office is that if you're not busy, then that must mean you don't have enough work or you're not that important. And so he could actually never get his job done because he needed quiet and he needed focus and he needed to do nothing, right, to be able to produce what he needed to do. But every time somebody walked past his office, he would stop that creative thought and act busy, start typing. Like some of you guys do this at your job, right? Like, come on, let's be honest. They, the boss is walking, oh, okay, like let's move, let's move some things, grab the phone, like, you know, start texting. I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm, imp I'm important. I belong here. Look how impressive I am and how busy my desk is. And I think if we're not careful, it is really easy to be lulled into believing that's life. Some of you in this room, I bet, even though you're young adults, have already had the thought, is this, is this what life is? Is this it? Is this what everybody, as a, when I was a kid, told me? Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life to the full. Because the reality of it is no amount of vacationing, streaming entertainment, or social media escapism will give us true rest. It's just a distraction that actually 
deprives you of rest. Those are just band-aids for when we need some, something to make us feel a little better. Like it's, it's that band-aid. Like my kids are little, my littlest, he's in that, in that phase where he thinks a band-aid fixes everything. Right? He gets his feeling hurt. I need a band-aid. He's crying. I need a band-aid, mom. Where do you want it? I don't know. I just need a band-aid. But the way that we try and find rest is typically a band-aid. We need something. We're wired and designed for more. We have a soul. A robot does not have a soul. Right? And so I want to look tonight and for the next several weeks at this idea of what is Jesus talking about when he says, I have come to give life and life to the full. And so tonight we're going to talk about the fact that God has a better way to rest. It is the best way. And so if you're a note taker, the subject of tonight's talk is God's rest is the best rest. God's rest is the best rest. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. If you want to find your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 11. As we get there, I want to set the table for this conversation of rest or the churchy word or the Old Testament word would be Sabbath. I want to talk about what it looks like to have a Sabbath. You see, this is God's idea. Sabbath is not the church's idea. This is God's idea. It's his creation. And the word Sabbath, it's not rocket science. It simply means to rest. To stop working and rest. And what God told the Israelites was take one day a week. I want you to work six and I want you to take one day to Sabbath rest. Right? The difference between regular rest and Sabbath rest is the difference between how we think we should rest and how God instructs us to rest. There's a difference. In Genesis chapter 2 is where we see the creation of the Sabbath. God's hard at work for six days. He's creating everything that we see. And then on the seventh day, he says, then God rested from his work. And if you notice, he created human beings on day six. And so our existence as humans, our first day of existence was a day of rest to look back and look at what God has done. So we were not created just to work. And let me say this off the top, work is not the enemy. It is absolutely not the enemy. God tells Adam to work the garden before the fall. So work is a part of how we're wired, but so is rest. And then in Exodus 20, when the Ten Commandments are given, he gives his people the command that you are to make a day. You take a day and do nothing. Just rest. To remember because you got to remember the audience that he's talking to in this moment. He's talking to the Israelites in the middle of their wandering. And he says, I'm going to give you rest. Because they just came from Egypt, where they've been working every day, seven days a week, all day. If they didn't produce enough, they were punished. And it was a grueling tax. They became that robot, can't help myself. All they were were just workers and workers. And he gave a rest to tell them, hey, number one, remember that I redeemed you from Egypt. Take a day to remember. And then secondly, you are more than your work. I've got this. Rest in me and what I've done. And then in Exodus 23, he repeats the command. But this time he adds some things. He adds the whole household should rest. All the servants, all the animals. And he says even the land, every seventh year, do not plant the crop. Let the land 
rest. You see, all of God's creation, from the dirt under our feet to the hearts in our chest, God wired you for the rhythm of rest. That's how he made you. And it's in direct opposition to our American culture of do more, better. Right? We, we live in the culture of having the side hustle. Like We got our main hustle, and then because we got to have more and do better, we got to have a side hustle. And God says, no, 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 I created you to have life and life to the full. And so there is an appropriate time to rest. Because the goal of Sabbath is to be unproductive. I bet this wasn't the talk you were thinking you were going to hear after the top of the year. 2022, welcome. Let's be unproductive, okay? New Year's resolution. Let's be unproductive. But that's the point, is that you and I have more value than what you can produce and what you can do and what you can achieve. You and I are not God. And the Sabbath reminds us of that, that God's got this. He wants a relationship with us. And so let's look at Matthew 11, 28 through 30, because Jesus is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, because Jesus himself talks about rest. And it's, it's, just a, it's, it's wonderful. So let's walk through this, and we'll, we'll pick it apart as we go. Verse uh, 28, 29, and 30 of Matthew chapter 11. Here we go. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God's rest is the best rest because my first point is Jesus invites us to rest in him. Jesus is in, did you catch that? He says, come to me. I'm inviting you in. I'm inviting you in to rest. Jesus is an inviting Savior to all. It's all who are weary and burdened. You know, he knew life was burdensome. He knew life was tiring. I think it was in John 4, 6. It says that Jesus was exhausted, and so he sat down by Jacob's well. Because Jesus was tired. He knows that we physically get tired. He knows what it looks like to be mentally and emotionally tired. And here he's saying, but if you're tired, if you're exhausted, come to me. You also got to realize the original audience of this would have been Jewish people who had 613 laws to follow. Like their religion was not just like, hey, you know, do your best. It was like, no, 613, and that's just the written law. There were about a thousand other verbal laws that they had to follow. And so it was, it was a grind. And what does Jesus say here? Come to me, all who are weary of following the religious rules. Come to me. And so what I love about this is that our rest, our, our real rest that we really need and that our body and our heart and our soul long for Rest is found by starting in repentance. Rest begins with repentance. He says, come to me. And in order to come to Jesus, we must leave what we're chasing, what we're searching for, what we're seeking, what we're finding our validation. We have to leave that if we want to find rest and come to Jesus. And so our rest starts with repentance. 
It's just turning to Jesus because he's inviting you in. It starts with stopping. Like my, my youngest son, Nate, he's five years old. And uh, about two or three times a week, like he's, he's that kid that stays up way too late because he's got older siblings. And we just forget to put him to sleep. And we're like, oh, he's still awake. Oh, my gosh, it's 1030. Like, I mean, for real. That's our life. And so after that happens for a few times, like there's just days where we look at him and he's like kind of nodding off, you know, or he's really grumpy. Like he's hangry. I mean, we get this way. It never stops. And we all look at Taylor and we're like, we need to get him. He needs to take a nap. And then like, well, we can't use that word. Because as soon as we tell Nate, dude, you're tired. How about taking a nap? He's like, no, I am not taking a nap. Like it's the, you remember those days when nap was like a punishment? And now we're all like, oh, please. I'll give him a paycheck for a good nap, right? Like, like he's not in that world yet. He's like, I am not sleeping. I am not resting because I don't want to miss out on anything. I want to have fun. And then everyone else pays for his exhaustion. And I think when I look at this, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we function the same way. We know we're exhausted. We know we're tired. But instead of finding the real rest in Christ... We go to counterfeit things. We scroll. I'm just going to have a, a night with, by myself at home. I'm going I'm to binge watch. Like those, those, I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm just saying that's not the kind of rest that Jesus offers. And he knows how you're wired. And so God says, hey, there needs to be a Sabbath rest. The thing I love about this invitation is it's like Jesus is saying, I'm the one throwing the party. And the party is rest. Because here's the deal, when you throw a party, when you invite people to your house, when you're the inviter, whose job is it to get everything ready? The person throwing the party. The person that's inviting. The people that are the invitees, they just show up. But somehow we think we need to manufacture the rest we need. We need, to, Jesus is inviting and we're like, okay, what can I do to make sure this happens? Versus just humbly coming before the Lord and saying, all right, God, you've invited me. And we're going to flesh this out here as we go along. And so we need to resist the identity of busyness that our culture is telling us is your value. And so in a lot of ways, our rest in Jesus is actually resistance against an identity that our culture tries to force upon us. That your value and your worth is your productivity and what you can create and what you can do. And taking a Sabbath rest is resistance to that. And we see Jesus do this all the time in Luke chapter 5, verses 15. It says, yet the news about Jesus spread all the more. So that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed from their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You see, Jesus resisted the temptation to do more better. To be busy all the time, because he could have been. And it would have been for really good reasons, better reasons than I've got. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to rest with the Father. Heck, Jesus took naps, Mark chapter 4, verse 38. It's in the midst of the storm. The disciples are on the boat. The storm's going crazy, right? The disciples are freaking out. They're like, where's Jesus? He's in the back of the boat sleeping. He is resting. And you know why he can rest? Because he has an intimacy with the one who is the God of the storm. That's why he can rest. Not because he's going to batten down the hatches and he's a really good captain of a ship. 
is because he knows who controls the storm. And when he, we have that relationship right, we can rest different. Whether you are busy or whether you take a nap, God has got this. Because God's rest is the best rest. When we're invited to something, when I'm invited to something, one of the things I always ask is, what can I expect at this party? Who's going to be there? What are we going to do? What am I going to experience? And then, well, we're about to find out. Right? He says, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. My second point tonight is that Jesus promises the gift of rest. Not only does he invite you, he says, I'm going to give you something. I'm throwing a party, and when you walk in, I'm going to give it to you. You see, God is a, a God of gifts. That is a theme. Like, if you want to study an awesome theme in the Bible, study the, the gifts that God gives. How he gives them, when he gives them. And Jesus says, I will give you rest. It is a promise. Jesus is the one who provides the rest. Not Netflix. Not Red Bull. <laughs> Jesus provides the rest. God is our provision. He is the one who knits you together in your mother's womb. He knows you and he knows what you need. There is a rhythm to creation, both human animals, and even the ground that God says, I know the rhythm, and the rhythm is rest. Psalm 145, verse 13 says this. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all of his promises, and he is faithful in all that he does. And so when Jesus says, I will give you rest, he will fulfill that promise. Because he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords and he has dominion over all things. He is king over the storms and he is king in the valleys. And he is king over your rest. And so when we start to implement this humble posture of saying, God, I need your rest. He will be faithful to do so. What kind of rest will you find when you open that present? Right, a month ago was Christmas, and probably most of you opened presents. If this is a gift, if God said, if Jesus says, I will give you the gift of rest, what does that rest look like? Well, let's look at some other scriptures. Well, the first one we, 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 just, we just read in, in verse 29, it's a soul-satisfying rest. You will find rest for your soul. It is deeper than the surfacey stuff that our world offers. It is longer and deeper and longer lasting than what we can do in an afternoon or an evening or a weekend. It's a soul-satisfying rest. In Psalm 23, maybe the most famous psalm out there, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me. Sometimes the Lord needs to make us lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. The kind of rest is a restorative rest. The Lord is our shepherd, and he is a restorative God. He says, I will lay you down, I will take care of you, and I will restore your soul. One of the books that I've read in preparation for this series is um, called Garden City by a pastor in Portland named uh, John Mark Comer. 
And he starts off one of the chapters with saying, Jesus liked to get in trouble on the Sabbath. <laughs> or some, or, or, or met, like just, he, he just liked to kind of just mess with people on the Sabbath. Specifically, the Pharisees, right? Because the Pharisees took this idea of Sabbath to a super unhealthy degree. Like they were trying to figure out like how far can you walk from your home before it's considered work? Like just crazy stuff, right? And so what did Jesus do? He said, you know what? I'm going to do all of my miracles on the Sabbath. And you see this. If you're in our Sunday school class, we're walking through the Gospel of John. And almost every miracle that he does, it says, on the Sabbath, Jesus made the blind man see. On the Sabbath, he made the lame walk. And everybody would freak out. Because they were more concerned about the rules than the Sabbath rest and healing that this person just received from Jesus. And so it just makes me wonder if that a lack of a, a Sabbath rest in our life is actually us depriving ourselves of Jesus' healing in our life. That we're not actually taking the time to be with him, to hear from him, and let him restore our soul. Because we just want to get past it. Do it quicker. Drive in, drive in uh, you know, Starbucks. Like, hey, here's my order, God. This is what I need from you. Here we go. I'm going to give you this five minutes. I'm going to give you this Sunday morning. Do it right now or don't do it. I'm too busy. Jesus loved to heal people on the Sabbath. It was like his favorite troll job for the Pharisees. It's like, watch this. And so I wonder what God would love to do when we start to take a Sabbath rest with Jesus. We take his invitation. And then thirdly, in Isaiah 40, we see that God is, gives us a renewing rest. Soul-satisfying, restorative, and renewing. Listen to this. Isaiah writes, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. He invites you in. And he gives you rest. Soul satisfying restorative and healing and renewing rest. Not just a distracted rest, not just an escapist rest, soul satisfying, satisfying, restorative and renewing rest. You see, it's important for us to know these scriptures because if we don't know them, then we won't care and we won't think it's going to be that great. Because if we're honest, we don't naturally wake up seeking the rest we actually need. We seek the quickest and easiest way to rest. Expecting it to be the deepest and long-lasting. And just saying that sounds crazy, right? We want the quickest, we want the easiest, and we expect it to be soul-satisfying and long-lasting. We'll give it this much time and expect it to last this much time. And so what do we do about this? Here will be my suggestion is we strengthen our Sabbath muscles, all right? Here's why I say that. Again, I, I got stories all day about my kids. I'm sorry, that's the world I live in. But they are not patient people. They, everything's terrible. Everything's a, a crisis. 
Every offense can be taken to the nth degree. They're not patient with each other. And so the phrase that we use is, hey, you need to strengthen, let's strengthen our patience muscles here. We need to get stronger in patience. Let's strengthen those muscles. We're naturally not patient. Let's become patient. Let's strengthen our patience muscles. And I would say, young adults, we need to strengthen our Sabbath muscles. Because it's hard. It's hard to stop. It's hard to turn off the devices. It's hard to change direction and repent and say, I'm going to come with you, Jesus. Instead of binging that show, instead of scrolling, instead of going to be busy, instead of going shopping or whatever. It's hard to stop. We have to strengthen our Sabbath muscles. And the benefit of the Sabbath taking a rest is it is a gentle reminder that we are not God. And it removes us from the throne of self-importance. Because let's be honest. We have a problem with self-importance. A lot of the striving that we experience, a lot of the exhaustion we experience in life is because we want to be important. And we want to be impressive. And we want to be worth it. And we want someone to see our value. And so we are striving and we're striving. No wonder we're exhausted. We are not, we are not created to carry that burden. We're not supposed to be on the throne. It's not how we're designed. And so in God's wonderful mercy, he says, here, here's your solution. Once a week, work for six days, produce and be creative and achieve. And then one day a week. Rest, do nothing productive. Take yourself off the throne and put God back where he belongs. No wonder we're exhausted. We're not made to be on the throne. And so not only does Jesus invite us to rest in him, not only does he promise to give us rest in him, he is our Sabbath rest. Let's read. Verse 28, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. That's that humble posture. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Right? That's a posture of humility. We have to be in a position to learn, to listen, and to watch Jesus and say, teach me. Learn from me, for I am gentle. He's not going to beat us over the head. I am gentle and humble in heart. Did you know this is the only scripture in all of the Bible where Jesus describes his own heart? This is it. Maybe you grew up believing God was mad at you and just trying to catch you. That's who, how I grew up. Jesus says, no, I am gentle and I am humble in heart. My posture towards you is kindness, right? He says, I am gentle and humble in heart and you will Promise number two, find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So my third point this evening is that Jesus is our present and eternal rest. He is both our present rest and our eternal rest. Why else is his burden easy, uh, and, or yoke easy and his burden light? Because he's, the work is done. Jesus has done the heavy lifting. And so as followers of Jesus, the work is finished. Our salvation is not a matter of you earning it or achieving it or deserving it. Jesus has done the work. So just like the Father, God, in, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 2, who worked for six days and then said, it is time to rest, Adam and Eve. Rest and look at my creation. I've done all the work. Jesus says the same thing. 
Christian, rest and look at what I've done. He's done it. He has paid the penalty for our sin. He has done the work. He has borne the cross that we deserve because of our sin. He's done the work. And so Jesus Christ himself is our Sabbath rest. It's not just try, he's not just here to give you life and life to the full so you have a better week. Jesus came to seek and save the lost and pay the penalty for the sin that we could not pay. Jesus is the rest. So no wonder he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest because I will give you me. And my perfection will be accounted, uh, put in your account. He's done the work. John 19, when Jesus is on the cross, in John 19, verse 28, it says later, knowing that, listen to this, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. When he had received a drink, Jesus said, it is finished. That word is to telestai, it means complete. You see, when Jesus hung on the cross, the work was complete. He made a new creation in Christ. And he invites us in. He says, come to me. All who are weary and burdened, yes, for your life, for your days, and for your weeks, yes, come to Jesus. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light, but Jesus is talking bigger picture here. He's talking eternally because you know what? If our eternity is not secure, then who cares about our days? Jesus did not come to give you a life hack to have a better weekend. He came to seek and save the lost. He knew we had a problem. That problem is sin. That's it, that we are separated from him. And Jesus said, I, Father, I will go do the work. And so he came down and he lived a life that we could not live so that we could have an eternity that we could not have without him to make things right between God and us. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. So we put our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. His life death and resurrection. Our hope and our faith is in Jesus. Not my ability to achieve, not your ability to do good, be better, do more, attend church perfectly, don't ever cuss, whatever it is, right? Because I don't know about you, but I know I can't. Like I know me and I can't. Thank God for Jesus who did. The work is finished. And so now we sit on the other side of the cross in Sabbath rest in Jesus, who says, look what I have done for you. Come, follow me. Lay your life down. Quit striving and quit trying. Find your rest and your value and your worth and your purpose in me. Jesus has come. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift is there's that giving God again. But the gift of God is eternal life through hard work. Nope. Through being perfect. Nope. Through Jesus Christ, the work is finished. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. There's the gift again. God is a giving God. 
who is gentle and humble and kind and for you. And he says, I'm giving you gift upon gift upon gift. But for some reason, we think he's trying to rob us of life by following him. We think that if we, if we lay our lives down, we're somehow going to miss out. He says, the gift of God is Jesus Christ. So that no, he, sorry, he says in uh, Ephesians 2.9, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. God's rest is the best rest because Jesus invites us to rest in him. He promises the gift of rest and ultimately God's rest is the best rest because Jesus is our rest. It is finished. So I want to leave you tonight. We're going to do, we're going to do two things here. Uh, we're going to end tonight a little bit different than we typically do. But before we get there, I want to just give you some practical steps you can take to actually practice Sabbath. Some things you can walk out and say, you know what, I'm going to do two of those things. <laughs> I'm going to do one of those things. All right, so kind of, kind of big picture, let's remember, Sabbath is to aim to be unproductive, not to be doing. So it's unplanned, right? Don't make all, like, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this. Like, no, that, that's our achievement mentality. So the goal is to aim to be unproductive in the presence of God. All right, and then another, another little, little trick is, and I'm just telling you this is coming, expect it to be difficult. You know why? Because your Sabbath muscles, my Sabbath muscles, muscles are weak. I do not like sitting still. I do not like silence. I don't like doing, doing, do. I don't like turning off my phone. I don't like it because it's, it, it's a crutch. When I'm bored, pull out the phone. When I'm lonely, pull out the phone. When I don't want to go to sleep yet, pull out the phone, right? It's going, you're going you're gonna to bump up against habit. We've built a habit of busyness. So I'm going to give you seven things to think about, possibly do. Number one, start small. Start small. Probably the thing is don't be like, all right, 24 hours, here we go. Maybe we don't start there. Okay, maybe start with 15 minutes. Like this is where the idea of quiet time comes. It's a daily Sabbath. We have a quiet time. We, we set aside a time to be with the Lord and just be quiet. Read his word and pray. So just start small. Figure out what that is for you. Start small. Maybe it's 15 minutes. Maybe it's an hour. Maybe it's Saturday morning from when you get up to, when, to, to lunchtime. Send, set an end date, by the way. Say this is when it's over. All right, number two, turn off your devices. Everything, laptop, tablets, TV, everything. Tell your people you're doing it so that if you don't respond, they don't freak out. But turn off your devices. Number three, schedule it but don't plan it. Let the day come to you. That starts with not setting an alarm. Just sleep until your body says it's time to get up. Let the Lord take care of you. Life will happen. Things will get done. Don't worry about it. Schedule it in your week, but don't plan the day. Just let the day come to you. Do the, what, what you feel like doing, but do it in a restful way without working. Number four, somewhere in the time includes silence and solitude. 
includes silence and solitude. I'm just, just going to be honest with you. This is the hardest for me. But in my life, this is almost exclusively when God speaks to me. When I am silent and sol- away from everybody else. And so if you're wanting to hear from the Lord, if you've got some things you're praying for and that you want to know, silence and solitude. I don't know if God's real big at competing for our ear. And so I think he'll wait and say, when, when you're ready to humbly come and, and rest with me, then I will speak. Number five, include some time outside in God's creation. Because the very first Sabbath was looking at the creation and saying, it is good. Go for a walk. Go for a bike ride. Go hunting. I don't know. Go be in his creation and remember what God has done. Number six, include something you enjoy. A hobby. Painting. Go play a sport. Like, go use the body God gave you. And then lastly, celebrate your Sabbath. When the Sabbath is over, celebrate it. The original, uh, the Israelites, when they were given this command to Sabbath, they would start on Friday night at sundown, and they would Sabbath until Saturday night at sundown. And when they got done Saturday night, they'd have a huge meal, and they would celebrate the Sabbath the rest that God has given them. And so maybe that's you getting together with your friends and celebrating the Sabbath, your rest. So here's what we're going to do. I said we're going to do two things. So that was the first one. The second one is we're going to end tonight a little bit different. We usually do 120 seconds. But we're going to practice what we preach, or at least practice what I preach. All right? And we're going to take some time to be silent before the Lord. Because it just didn't feel right to be like, hey, we're going to talk about Sabbath and silence and solitude and be like, hey, all right, up and go. Let's go back to the table. Go meet your friends. Head out. Get, go accomplish something. But before you go, while we got you, we're just going to sit for a minute. In, there's going to be no pad on the keys. It's just going to be silent. And what I want to in, instruct you to do, and you may be like, Andy, you're crazy, whatever. That's fine. I don't care. Um, I want your body posture to change from the way that it's been the last hour or so, right? Because the Sabbath is to be wholly set apart. So whether that's you want to get on your knees and pray, whether that's just scoot to the front of your seat and lean on the seat in front of you and do this, just change your body posture to one of humility that says, God, I'm here. Speak to me. And what I'm going to do is we're going to put a slide on the screen of Psalm 121. And this would have been a Sabbath psalm that the Israelites would have read together. And I'm going to just let you sit, and we're going to be silent before the Lord, and we're just going to rest for a moment. And it's going to feel weird, but that's okay, because Jesus is inviting you in. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And then at the end of it, I'm going to come up, and we're going to out loud, we're going to read Psalm 121 together, and then we'll finish with worship. Let me pray. Lord, I want to thank you uh, for, for your word. God, thank you that you have designed us in such a way that that we will flourish when we are connected with you. God, I pray that as we 
look at your word as we see the words of Jesus. We would take his invitation, maybe for the first time, to put our trust and faith in you. God, I pray that there's somebody in this room that has never trusted you with their life. God, that they would do that tonight. For the Christians in the audience, God, I pray that we would be reminded of that repentance, that we are to come to you for what we need. And so, Lord, I pray that you do work here in the next couple minutes. That you would strengthen our Sabbath muscles. That you would speak to us. And that you would give us rest in your name. Amen.